You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I come to you, as I always do, with my bosom buddy, Bobby Castro. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Not already. Give me something to fucking break. Oh, no. You got durst right off the bat? (laughs) got durst. You got durst. I mean, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. It's been threatened for almost four years now. What do you think fans are of this podcast are least excited about? The idea of actually doing Throwing Copper by Live a second time or doing Limp Biscuit as we are going to do today? Like, what is more of a slap in the face to the listenership? <laughs> I, think, I think both are just a complete insult to our audience in unique ways. <laughs> uh, but I would like to think that our true fans, the true naughty monkeys out there, remember that? The naughty monkeys. Those That's right. People, those people really just cannot wait to hear us hear Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yeah, naughty monkeys. I hear you. <laughs> all right, all right. Calm down. Yes, yes, yes. This is big. This is huge. This is uh, one of the biggest selling albums of. Um, I guess it was right straddling the '90s and the 2000s, but. When you look at the list of the highest-selling LPs of the last 20 years, on that list will be tonight's album, Significant Other by Limp Bizkit. Yeah. And that, you, like, you could say that this is bad music by dumb people which I'm for sure we, dumb people. We will say that. Tonight. And that's all right. accurate. But all I can tell you is, based on my research that I did 44 seconds ago, this album has sold 16 million copies oh my worldwide. God. Wow. And I wonder, and I don't know, um, that would take more research, which I will not be doing. Uh, I wonder how many of those records were sold outside the U.S. Because it feels like to me, although I'm sure Limp Bizkit had an overseas following, hell, they, who knows, maybe they were playing Glastonbury. I have no idea. But it feels, Limp Bizkit, when I think about late 90s American culture, and where things went after Kurt Cobain, after the post-grunge movement, um, as the bubblegum pop thing was going on, and then there needed to be something to counteract that. Fred Durst was the face of culture in America. Yeah. It was like Fred Durst and Tom Green. The very punchable face. Does <laughs> And Glenn, Glenn Humpling. Glenn Humpling. <laughs> does, does Wikipedia say out of those 16 million, how many were sold to guys with soul patches? Oh, so many soul patches. So many. I'm a little surprised that you did not go that route, Bob, because I, I could not grow a soul patch if I wanted to. No, you have uh, no soul. In 99. No soul, no ability to grow hair. Otter here. Uh, but you you had hair on your pits when you were like 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, soul patch would have been easy for you. Oh, I mean, too easy. Also easy in this era was you piercing your cartilage of your ear. Uh, but that's different. That's a whole different conversation piece. No, I had, I had a proper goatee. Not just the soul. You match. did. I had the the Tom Green goatee. <laughs> let's, let's jam in as many Tom Green I had references the as we can. You were humpling. <laughs> I was pure humpling all the way through. 
Um, Glenn Humplick, of course, if you don't know, the sidekick of Tom Green, who ate a lot of shit. And if you do know, that means you were born in exactly 1980, <laughs> exactly. and this is the podcast for you. You're gonna, exactly. You're going to relate to our experiences with Limp Biscuit as late teenagers going through college and dealing with the fact that this was the music of our college experience. Mm. I don't know why I'm here, by the way, because uh, this is amazing. We did we set this the state up uh, to record in the new garage uh, umlaut. The umlaut. Do you have your sound cue ready to go? Didn't have it ready. Well, I mean, we'll I have think it next week. We're, we're going to get enough of it this week because I don't know if we need it. <laughs> That's true. Um, so we locked in on Wednesday, and then uh, Wednesday came, and what I did not put two and two together on was it was also. Um, my wife and I's, my wife, uh, wedding anniversary. <laughs> we got married nine years ago today. So when I told Emily that I would not be available tonight. <laughs> so great. Um, I, I like to think um, that when she said it was okay, that she meant it. But I really do believe there's probably more to this story and more to the story that I'm going to learn after the fact. This is only the beginning of the story. This is the preamble to a much bigger story of your divorce <laughs> you're spending your ninth wedding anniversary with me in a garage drinking i feel like she could have seen this coming when you got married i might have even included this in my best man speech like fyi nine years from now <laughs> your husband and i are going to be in a mortgage garage so congratulations all right uh drinking while you put your kids to bed alone that's and, all checking out <laughs> That's and, all things that are happening are, in, are happening right now. And intensely uh, resent him. But you know what? We have to do what we have to do for the fans, for the Patreones, for everybody out there, especially the people, Dan, giving us five stars on iTunes. Ah, yes. So. Big applause. So we. <laughs> really big applause for those people. Big pop. So the people that have given five stars are the only ones eligible to get their comments read on the show. If you went less than five stars, you were wiped away. Well, I'll be honest. As I scroll through these, it's hard to find one less than five stars. Oh, okay. It's also hard to find one. You guys need to get uh, going on these I thought things. we talked about this, listeners. We just to help us out with that. Yeah, we know there's a lot of you, and there's not a lot of uh, comments. So keep going. We just need five stars. Say whatever you want. Okay. Be insulting. Talk about Fred Durst if you want to do, do yeah. that. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was got to do it. That was a dur- yeah. that was a Durst Durrance. That was a Fred Durst. Is there a more miserable bastard in the world <laughs> than the hybrid of Adam Durrance of Keanu Crows and Fred Durst? Is there a more punchable, more punchable face? I don't think so. I don't think so. But uh, we said we were going to read some of the five star reviews that we got, so let's do it. Yeah. Okay, I was waiting for that. Yeah. Uh, let's start with these two saved my life by Matt the Punk. Okay. He acknowledges right off the bat clickbait title, uh, but just listen and enjoy the beautiful tones of two hosts. Enter your ear canals, scaring any leftover remnants of Britney or Nickelback with Makes You Wet Breakdown of the Greatest Albums from Our Past. If you aren't entirely satisfied, send the boys hate mail. They definitely won't give a shit about your feedback. (laughs) That is so right. Like that guy, Matt the Punk. Nailed it. Philo13181 says, I'll never forget this pod. Uh, Great show. I give it a nine out of 11. <laughs> <laughs> Great yes, comment, very right? Very well done. Very well done. 
We also have Trip Trip nineteen ninety one. Is he says Naughty Monkey here? Great nine eleven podcast. Which, <laughs> we're not a nine eleven podcast. We just loosely tie everything to the greatest. Uh, no, I think they're right. This is a nine eleven podcast. <laughs> it is true. Uh, great podcast says Larry the white guy. Sounds like our demo. Um, these guys are a crack up. Great taste in music. No way they aren't making out. What? Okay. Well, we've the, those charges have been lobbed against us in the past, and uh, if you are gay, that's fine. Um, we are not gay, but uh, people in high school did try to connect those dots uh, in the late '90s, and it was hurtful and offensive. And um, I just feel like for that to be dredged up twenty plus years later, not right. Who do you think would be more grossed out by uh, us making out? Between me and you, not the world. I mean, the world, a lot of people would be grossed out by that. Who would be? Who would be? Oh, between you and I? Yeah, like who would have a harder time with it? I feel like, um, I feel like if it wasn't you, I would be less grossed out. (laughs) Uh, If there was another guy, um, I might be the guy that's less grossed out. I would not be into it, um, most likely. I mean, I have not done this before, but, uh, but the fact that it's you, I would really not be into it. I think I'd actually have it a lot easier than you because you have to deal with stubble. Oh, you know, like you're you're a hairless Oof. Glenn Humpling, so I'm fine. It's almost like kissing a woman. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, Any more? No, I'm just looking. You have to go all the way back to almost an entire year to get a one star review. Oh, let's hear one. You star have to go review. back to June 2020, and uh, what this person says. Uh, Oh, fuck. Where was it? Well Never done, mind. Bob. Fuck that person. I had it. Very good, Bob. It was gone. I had it. I was too busy thinking about ma- making out with you. It threw me off. Oh, here it is. Um, huge Disappointment by Mick Lemons. <laughs> One star. I really thought being a music lover, I would enjoy the show. Yes. First of all, it took too long to get to the album they were covering. No, we, that never happens. <laughs> then, <laughs> yeah. then they showed no love for my all-time favorite band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So I'm done, Three Slammers. Oh, okay. Well, you know, that is very similar to my successful podcast I'm on uh, around the NFL, where... Any real negative critique of the show almost always goes back to the fact that we either A, were critical of your favorite team, or B, didn't say enough or anything about your favorite team. Yeah. Uh, very rarely is it actually a true uh, criticism of what we present. I like this one, too. It's a three-star review. It says, do it. Uh, do silver chair frog stomp. That's it. No. <laughs> Will not do it ever. Well, you just lost all unless, of Australia. Unless, I mean, we did NXS. What else do you want? Unless you do what you had mentioned before we started today, Bob, which was if you do a spinoff podcast on all Australian rock acts. Right. I told you I was going to leave this country, move to Australia, and do this exact same podcast with our top tier Patreonis, Kleine and Manson. I mean, how many episodes before you get to Silverchair? At the most, maybe four. <laughs> the over-under is three and a half. <laughs> You're going to do the first three NXS albums. <laughs> We've already done one here, so. Right. Well, you'll redo it yeah. with an Australian and an Australian state of mind. Uh, then you'll probably do the next three NXS albums. Right. M- Men at Work. You'll hit that one hard. We'll do a lot of Crowded House, even though maybe Ton- the, maybe they're from New Zealand. Nobody knows. Of crowded House. It's right on the borderline. Uh, any New Zealand rock you're going to hit. Of course. Uh, Margot Robbie, if she's done any type of project, you'll hit that. Then then you might just do a podcast on... Um, 
Young Einstein. Irwin. Steve Irwin. Oh, yeah. We could do some Steve Irwin. I thought you were going to go into like the Young Einstein. Right. Right. Then, of course, you'll have the Bindi Irwin show where she's on as a guest. Mm-hmm. Then Young Einstein. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Who's we have a lot to look forward to, people. <laughs> then you'll get to whatever was the original subject of this bit. But, Dan, speaking of uh, Patreonis, the reason we're doing this album is because, believe it or not, you can't. You don't have to blame us for doing this. Blame the Patreonies, America. This album won a Patreon poll on Patreon.com/slash/ThrowbackPod, where our how is that possible? Patrons get to vote. This was a big poll way back in September. Connect the dots. Yeah, um, put it on the board. I, I'm I'm curious how in terms of the vote, and I want to know uh, Bob how it broke down. But I'm curious how many people voted for it because they were like, oh, I like that album. As opposed to, oh, it'll be funny to hear these guys struggle to listen to this album. They're kind of punking us, dunking on us, making us listen to this, uh, making us suffer, like with the Corn record, which was just a, right. a couple, total disaster of couple, the years. Well, couple of thoughts. Um, yeah. You, you can get a sense of it in the comments that I think some of the votes were, holy shit, wouldn't it be fun to hear the two of us Sub, be subjected to this. Right. So I feel like that was a deciding factor for many people. But the poll was between Eminem's Slim Shady LP that came in last, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Eminem, it's not going too well for Eminem. I feel like his legacy is not as secure as I thought it was going to be 10, 15 years ago. It's true. He seems to have encountered some turbulence. I think the world changed in terms of the views on certain things and some of his uh, shtick. That was controversial uh, 20 years ago. Now is viewed as totally out of bounds. Yeah. And I think that's hurting him. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, he's such a, like an overly serious, like, uh, he's just like so, have you ever seen that man lighten up on any No, level? he's very intense. Yeah. Anyway, he, he, he was in the movie Funny People, though. Don't forget that. I will never forget that. Uh, it beat out Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic, so... That one fucking asshole who hated us will probably hate us even more now. That's tough for the Chili Peppers, too. They should be winning this. And then at 31%, Limp Biscuit and Metallica with the Black Album tied. Hmm. So uh, the deciding vote went to us, and we said, <laughs> <Limp Bizkit. laughs> let's just do Limp Bizkit. Yeah, and that's not a, a really a, a shot against Metallica, because I think we will hit Metallica eventually. It's just uh, the way it struck us today. I'm mostly afraid of the lawsuit from Metallica. You have a history with Metallica. Lars has already come after me once, right. personally. Uh, I feel like it could happen again. Uh, but before we get to Significant Other, uh, let's check in on the number one song in the UK, I believe, Bob? Yes, that is correct. On the week that Significant Other by Limp Bizkit dropped. Oh, Yeah. Has anyone ever listened to this while not high on ecstasy? No, never. Oh, unless you're seven years old. (laughs) I know the chorus is coming. I don't know if I've ever heard this song before. No, you weren't like driving around in 1999 listening to this on Z100. What the fuck was that? 
They brought the 70s retirement, uh, 70s robot out of retirement? They did. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boys, there will always be room on the charts for dumb shit like this. <laughs> like I don't, I feel like if you go through the decades, there it is. Seventies robot is back. That was actually Screech's robot from. Uh, that was Kevin. Yeah, <laughs> Screech's robot. Um, R.I.P. to both Screech and the robot. Oh, the robot didn't make it either. No, it didn't make it. Tough sitch. Um, yeah, the. The pop dance dumb song has been sturdy for decades. It's never in danger. This was around the same time as Barbie Girl. Yep. I guess maybe a few years later, but it's the same kind of song. This right. was just... Macarena. Right. Uh, you know, we, we did a whole episode on early 90s uh, dance music, which I implore you to check out. Yeah, it's one of our most downloaded episodes, That's the Everybody Dance Now episode. Oh, that was a good one. And that you know, fun. Dan, we did say, we did what Noel Gallagher did. We we threw a volume one on there, mm-hmm. so you know Noel Gallagher has his greatest hits coming out. He threw a volume one on that as well. Noel he, Gallagher has the greatest hits, yeah, like a solo. Yes. Well, that's and he threw a, a volume bit of reach, isn't he it? Threw a volume one on there. So uh, I quite it, like a lot of uh, Noel Gallagher's solo output. Well, but there's a lot a more greatest to come. hits. There's a lot more to come too. So I don't know. We only that. did a volume one of our Everybody Dance Now episode. We could do another dance party episode any day now. <laughs> yeah it's happening i mean we could do that i think we should but i mean no come on now i shook you with that you did i'm a little shaken up about I'm that. sorry i'm sorry to just bombard you with that right I, before like, we get into noel's it. been a solo artist long enough as well now that he could put out a quote-unquote greatest hits yeah okay maybe it's time to get the band back together you think yeah but not if you have a whole other volume to fill all right, here it is. Significant other Limp Bizkit. 16 million people can be wrong. And, and and I think it's safe to say the first time we're ever going to listen to this and probably the last. Well, don't speak too soon, Bob. Give it a chance. Squawk this way. Don't hate it. Nope. Don't hate it either. <laughs> Not bad. Who saw that coming? <laughs> I mean, by the standards of Limp Biscuit, 
because we have heard some truly abhorrent shit from this band. This is a nice way to open the the album. They're actually what you heard at the very beginning here was an intro. And I just want to tease it now, Bob, because in case anyone is even thinking about jumping ship on this episode, uh, the end of the album is marked uh, by a by a it's a song, but maybe not a song called "Rant," and then in parentheticals, Matt Pinfield. Oh man, Matt, Matt fucking Pinfield, the so, bald guy. So excited for that! All right, so this is just like this. This was not a single. Um. There were four singles released off this album. Every one of them is instantly recognizable, for better or worse, uh, and was for, a huge hit. You could, you could just say for worse. But <laughs> this is pretty good. I don't know. Maybe we're about to become huge Biscuit fans, bro. That's a weird midlife crisis I didn't see coming. I just realized when we um, tweet out this uh, podcast... We have to superimpose red Yankee hats on, on top of our heads. Oh, for sure. That just seems like a slam dunk. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're taking care of that, right? Yeah, I'll be I'll be in on that. Okay. I'll be in on that. So, a uh, little background here. So, yes, this came out June 22nd, 1999. And 97 is when they first showed up with $3 Bill Y'all, y'all. 1997, mm-hmm. uh, which had the George Michael cover of Faith. Uh, and that was surprisingly massive. I remember that caught me off guard. That was kind of a cool thing at that time. Marilyn Manson had done his cover of Sweet Dreams right. by the Eurythmics. So Limp Bizkit doing Faith. That Somebody was, did, some band did a, a Blue... A Blue Monday. Blue uh, Monday. Yeah. The New Order or, song. I believe Orgy. Orgy did yeah. it. And that was huge too. Yeah. So that was a thing. So there was that 80s nostalgia coming through these, this whole genre of music. At least to kind of get your foot in the door. goes right into Bob the biggest Limp Bizkit song right arguably no it's gotta be right come on Flippy what was the name of the guitarist I don't Scooby Chorus yet, Bob? No, no. Should I be feeling good? I know you do. I liked this song when it came out. It was less. It was initially inoffensive. I have to I do say, agree with that. I, I remember d- that. I don't want. I don't 
I don't want to be dishonest here. I want to say that I thought this was like a, a good rock song, and I understood that the band was garbage and the singer was a douche. Uh, but I thought this kind of like achieved what its goal was. Like it was good pump up music, and it was like music for angry white teenagers. The bar was low, and this and Ba with the Ba were kind of the accessible. Ver- the, the ones that people like us who didn't like the genre right. were kind of like, okay, that's fine. Which they needed because they're not right. selling 16 million uh, albums without a, a massive hit uh, single. And this was the lead single released June 16th, 1999. And it was, without a doubt, the song of the summer. I mean, it was everywhere. And um, I did... Uh, I've shared the story before, but I have to do it again because it it is like one of the, the stories of our youth that always stuck with me the most. We used to always go down to the shore, whether it was the Jersey Shore or we went down to Ocean City, Maryland one year. And I'll just never forget these two dirtbags, a, a boy and a girl and their friend groups arguing, the boy and the girl who were in some type of relationship that had fallen apart. Now they're arguing on the boardwalk. We're watching it from about, I want to say, 25 yards away. And it ends with both sides saying nasty things, and they walk their separate ways on the boardwalk, and then the guy turns around and goes, I did it all for the nookie! And all of his friends fucking break out laughing and high-fiving the guy, Uh. and the girl's so pissed off. And uh, that was 1999 in a nutshell right there. I mean, you don't need to go to Woodstock 99 to experience 1999. Just... Go to Ocean City, Maryland and hear some little scrub yell at a woman. Thought while listening to like the first couple of verses. It's really not that different from the Red Hot Chili Peppers until it gets into the chorus. Ooh, like he's oh. he's doing that white boy rap. I'm okay. the laughing stock of the neighborhood. That's like an Anthony Kiedis cadence. A little bit, okay. Like it's not I'm that different. That. And then, of course, once the guitars come in, I hope that Chili Pepper fan isn't listening. Oh, right I'm now. doing this specifically <laughs> for that guy. Because <laughs> if there was another album that was the biggest album in '99, it was Californication, of course, which we've covered. We have covered on right. the show. I have no memory of it. Nope, but I but know it's, it's on the list. That we have. So yeah, like uh, that that moment on the boardwalk in Ocean City perfectly encapsulated that moment in time where I feel like 75% of uh, young males in our country thought they were Fred Durst or they wanted to be Fred wanted Durst. Wanted to be related to him in some way because he wasn't this cool rock star. He was this like... Wasn't an overly handsome guy. He wasn't a bad looking guy, but he was a bald guy that wore a Yankee cap, a red Yankee cap. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, I can imagine a guy that seemed relatable uh, to American youth, for sure. Would wear, like, you know, a Chicago Bulls jersey with jean shorts and a wallet chain. And that's, like, half the people that were walking around the mall in 1999. Um, the video was filmed in Long Island City. Okay. You know, I... In my barely empl- my barely employed era of life in between um, when I briefly lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn Mm -hmm. in 2010 and before I took my NFL job in the summer of 2010. So late, 
let's say I moved I moved to LA to take the NFL job in August of 2010. Um, that spring and summer before that, I was marginally employed, spent many hours at coffee shops uh, answering uh, or sending out uh, solicitations to work and, you know, give up my body. Just no replies. I couldn't mm-hmm. get any responses. Not even for your body. Uh, could not get a single uh, body-related response. But the Garden City patch um, did um, respond. Uh, and they were a, a local uh, online publication, and they wanted someone to cover their baseball team, mm-hmm. uh, varsity baseball team. And I would drive uh, to Garden City, which I think is right next to Long Island City, um, and covered that team like they were the New York Yankees. I wrote <laughs> notebooks. I wrote. I was at every game, home and away. I wrote multiple notebooks, and it it got to the point where. Um, I remember the parents coming up to me and almost being like, hey, so why is this coverage so good? Like, what? <laughs> like, almost worried for me. Yeah, you're, you're, you're way too into this. You need another outlet in life. Um, and luckily, uh, I eventually did get another outlet. But uh, Long Island City, maybe not next to actually Garden City, but City. See, but the sitcom, of, the sitcom, though, based on you is going to be when you get canceled by society and you have to leave the NFL. You're going to go back to that job, having had this experience, and now you're going to kind of, that's that's your ed. That's your going back to your roots. The worst full circle scenario possible. Yep. So just be ready for it. By the way, alone too, because you're listening to Limp Bizkit right now on your anniversary. Wait, Bob, this is I know. I mean, greatest, you cut me off. The greatest beginning to any Limp Bizkit song. I was about to talk. I was I was getting towards you being left by your wife for doing this podcast. But it's too real, Bob. So we don't I'm need sorry. to talk about it. In fact, um, I've reached out to my wife to see if she wants to discuss this uh, because it's a little bit on my radar. Okay, Fred, the floor is yours. His name was Fred. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those days where you don't want to wake up. Everything is fucked. Everybody sucks. You don't really know it. why, but you want to justify ripping someone's head off. off. <laughs> Just one of those days. He said, she said, bullshit. So the the corn guitar guitarist was squiggly or something, right? Uh, Miggy, uh, Miguel uh, Cabrera, mon- monkey. There was monkey. There was Miggy Cabrera. <laughs> There was a monkey. There was West Borland, right? West Borland was the. Uh, but there yeah. was monkey. I think is what you're thinking of. But what the what the monkey? But West Borland and he had the contacts and yes. he was weird looking. Um, anyway, so here we are. Another huge hit. Oh yeah, huge. This was the final single released February 22nd, 2000. So they really did straddle the two decades. So if you were somebody like us who tolerated Nookie as part of this new sound that was happening to alternative music, which was not optimal, but you had to, you know, at least you didn't want to be completely out of the loop. So you kind of tolerated it. By this point, you were fucking done. Done. Could totally not, done. Could not even stand three seconds of this song. And something notable happened uh, between when I'm like a chainsaw. <laughs> Asking your ass raw. Um... Something notable happened between the Nookie thing, but, but after the um, 
Ocean City Boardwalk incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before this single release, it was Woodstock 99. Of course. And when this song was played at Woodstock 99, Fred Durst encouraged the crowd to become rowdy, stating, don't let anybody get hurt, but I don't think you should mellow out. That's what Alanis Morissette had you motherfuckers do. If someone falls, pick them up. In the mosh pit, fans tore plywood on the walls when the song played, and numerous, numerous sexual assaults were reported to have occurred. Like, what the fuck? Like, what was going on there? But, I, I mean, you can't even, can't make light of any no, sexual assault. of course, right. And, and we will not on this podcast. We Even we have places we won't go. But my point is, like, th- that song caused people to act that way? I mean, by that point... This is like, what Tipper Gore was fucking on about. But the story of... Uh, Band rock and roll. Woodstock 99 about the the $9 bottles of water and the rain and the mud and the just not like the increasing amount of anger and testosterone that was kind of pulsating through those right. fields. The last thing you needed was somebody. It really is. It's 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 for me drawing so many parallels to our capital uh, insurrection of from January. <laughs> like when you have all of that building, the last thing you want is Fred Durst, President Fred Durst being like, "Let's go march down to the fields and break stuff." Yeah. Well, like, that's exactly the same thing. Here's the other thing, though. What I'm saying is he's going to be our president someday. He so will. There's, pretty, there's a pretty good chance. Yeah. It's either going to be Fred Durst or Tucker Carlson. One of the two. What if it's Fred Durst and and he crosses over with Corn and, and it's Monkey. Fred Durst and Monkey. Monkey. As long as Monkey gets a platform of his own <laughs> and he's not just a figurehead. No, I think um, it's interesting. As I read that quote, like, don't let anybody get hurt. Uh, if someone falls, pick him up. It was like a half measure. Like he was covering himself from lawsuits. Uh, but at the same time, I think he, he, he got what he wanted, which was everybody just going nuts. But I mean, man, that was, that was the whole thing. That was the whole vibe of that movement. This idea of, um, trying to break through to like disenfranchised young people and being this like outlet, um, uh, for that anger about where you are in life. That was smart. It's like you brought up Trump and now I'm thinking about mm-hmm. playing to that base. That's kind of what Trump did yeah. for, for whatever you, your thoughts are about him. And uh, you know, in my opinion, the worst president ever, but I will, I will say this. That's not what you say off mic, but go no, on, on mic, uh, off mic, very different, <laughs> but uh, I'll say this. It was savvy to do what he did because there are a lot of people uh, that you can get riled up and in your corner if you if you hit the right notes. Yep. And that's what Fred Durst did. That's what Donnie did. Fred Durst having that rage and Inuki being like, I'm an outcast and things aren't going well for me. It's like, who can't relate to that as like a 19-year-old male? Fred Durst. Oh my God, Fred Durst. Donald Trump parallels are outrageous. Outrageous. Um, And think about it. The, the 18-year-old... Teen in 99, come 2016, election time, he was the disenfranchised adult who felt he was being overlooked yep. by society. The Venn diagram of Limp oh Biscuit owners and Trump voters <laughs> is, and I say this on purpose, a perfect circle. <laughs> also, it all ties together. Like, there is no way, there is seriously no way. Just think about it. Any- Just think about it. There is no, it's a pretty good song too. There is no way 
a single Limp Bizkit fan voted for Hillary. <laughs> like, the only way it could happen was someone hitting the wrong uh, box or whatever in the, the voting thing. That was very well said. Uh, but otherwise, it, it couldn't have happened. No, it's, that was for the Alanis Morissette. Hillary was for Alanis Morissette. And Fred knew that What are they called? The voting... Uh, the, the voting booth? The voting booth! <laughs> Nailed it! Alright, here is rearranged. You got a real way with words, Bob. <laughs> Political scientists. So it's interesting you brought up the Chili Peppers. I think they definitely took cues from the Chili Peppers where there were some elements of hip-hop, but then you'd have these like chill kind of vibes in some of the songs. Mm -hmm. That other bands. Who was that really sad band with the guy that would wander around the Hollywood flea market? Oh, Crazy Town? Crazy Town. Or Puddle of Mud? No, both of them would wander around Hollywood. Right, but the Crazy Town guy, very sad. We would go to watch football on Sundays at Big Wangs in Hollywood. And you'd see him outside the flea market, the Hollywood flea market on Sunday mornings, and it, it looked like he had not showered, slept, or spoken to another human being mm-hmm. in roughly four years. Yeah. Tough sitch. Is he still around? I think he's still with us. Slappy? <laughs> They're all, they all have names like that. <laughs> anyway, uh, in terms of uh, change of pace uh, songs on the album, this, t- to me, kind of works. And it was... The band's only number one single on the modern rock charts. Which really? Seems crazy. That's so weird. So weird. How was how was uh who kept Nookie out of the number one spot on the modern rock charts? Oh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I guarantee Scar Tissue, which was like yeah. a number one song on those charts for seventy seven straight weeks, and then other side for the next seventy seven weeks. Yeah, but this is this song is what alternative rock radio sounded like yes. in nineteen ninety nine two thousand. Like all shit like this, even more so than the Nookies of the world. Matt Pinfield makes an appearance in this video as well as Fred Durst's mother. You know, Matt Pinfield, who is known as in this era as like a rock scholar. Yeah kind of interesting that he was aligning himself so closely with this particular band but i guess they was limp biscuit critically reviled back then yes they were they were right i feel like we got into this in our in our corn episode where like corn was the respectable new metal band that had like the artsy one and limp biscuit was the pop noodle that was the guy's that's what you're thinking of Noodles. Was it noodles? <laughs> was it plural? I think it was plural. But yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying this infinitely more than I enjoyed listening to that Corn album because this is just kind of dumb late '90s. Uh, I pop think music. I think it's very clear when you listen to this album that they were swinging for the cheap seats. We're looking for a big radio album. Yes. Whereas maybe Corn, like the mainstream, came to them more. Whereas Limp Bizkit was like, okay, we we see what works. Which, by the way, I think that happens too often, where where an artist gets dinged for, oh, he just you know knew how to make a hit and just followed a formula. 
not easy. Bitch, that's hard to do. It's not easy. <laughs> it's like I I just read some like uh some the like the seven million think piece about the Eagles. Uh-huh. Uh it was an, a ringer article and of course Rob Sheffield's involved with it because what would a Eagles think piece on the internet be without Rob no, Sheffield's involvement? <laughs> Contractually obligated to include them. Certain bands need uh, any dissertation needs Rob Sheffield. Yep. Uh, this is one of them. But uh, like this idea that the Eagles were viewed as these mercenaries that took um, lessons from bands like uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash about the idea of combi- combining having a, a social message to share with the idea of like making a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles just said, well, we're going to screw all that. Uh, altruistic altruistic stuff we're just gonna make a ton of money and write hit songs that's fine by the way i don't understand like, this idea it's like go do it go do it yeah yeah if, if it was if if you don't like what the eagles did or what fred durst and limp Bizkit did writing hits go write better songs yeah but for us we were just helpless and that's why i think we have such resentment for this band and this era yeah. was that they hijacked what rock music was was that it took it over. We loved that we grew up in the 90s. We got to experience alternative music and grunge music and all of this great great art that was coming out in the early to mid 90s and then this became rock music. And that was if this would have existed parallel right to rock radio that would have been fine. But no, this took over and that's what that's why it was personal for people like us. Yeah, because I think there was um yeah, there was definitely a sea change. Um, so you had the Cobain, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, the Prime, and then there was that post era where yeah, alternative music was kind of pushing into the mainstream. So that was like our sweet spot. Yep. And you had so much great music in that era, 94, 95, yeah, the, 96, 97. And, yeah. And then uh, there seemed to be a little bit of a vacuum where a lot of those bands that we loved in the mid nineties, some of them were either not putting out their best stuff or there just was a bit of a transition period and Limp Bizkit just filled that vacuum. I also think that the, and I mentioned this earlier quickly, but I think the rise of Britney and Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and 98 degrees and Christina Aguilera, um, certainly helped and helped pave the lane for, uh, Limp Bizkit, Corn, Eminem, where people were just like, "Fuck this!" Right? Like, yes, we were exactly. pissed that our rock music was no longer the popular music. But think if you were somebody that was into harder music, and Britney Spears was the most popular person on earth. Like and the Backstreet Boys were that, right. This was a reaction to that the, the popularity of this type of music. And this was TRL ready. Fred Durst was the perfect guy to go on TRL and stand next to Carson Daly. Well, Glenn Humplick has to be in the conversation. <laughs> All right. Also, if but if he had a backwards baseball cap, then Humplick could have been there. <laughs> but this was, when you when you look back at TRL at like the 90s artists that would appear next to Carson Daly, like when Oasis was on or when the Counting Crows went on TRL to try to get Hanging Around to be a single, it's like those guys were sore thumbs, but Limp Bizkit, Eminem, Fit right in. they could stand next to Carson. Here's I'm broke. Now, you, when Limp Bizkit kind of fractured and 
Fred Durst eventually became something of a punchline, he he pivoted into entertainment, Bob, and I think he directed a couple of movies. He did, and yeah. Have you ever crossed paths either directly or on a parallel line to Fred Durst in Hollywood in these last 10 years? I physically crossed paths with him at Runyon Canyon once. <laughs> I was on my way down. What kind down. of shape was he in? He, was, he looked good. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't not recognize him, though. He's in the uh, skinny fat guy yes. Hall of Fame. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Or the fat guy, skinny guy. What would it be? Skinny fat guy? Skinny fat guy. Hall of Fame. I mean, how many other guys had a build where you just could never really tell? Adam Pally had a, uh improv group called the Chubby Skinny Kids. Like <laughs> so I feel like Adam Pally belongs in there, too. But it's, right. yeah, Fred Durst is that where it's like, is he fit or is he fat? It's impossible to tell. Fit or fat. He looked good. He did, did you say? Did you give him a nod? Yeah, there was a little nod. Little nod. He's like, yeah. I think. But he's like, "What's up, Bob? Yeah." I, I remember I was listening to the Gorillas at the time, and it was just like, "Oh, there's no way that this is on his radar at all." He's like, "I was a precursor for Trump." Yeah. <laughs> Here is nobody like you. There was a guy in this band named John Otto. He was the drummer and founding member of Limp Bizkit. When your name's Otto, you got to be Otter, right? Yeah. Like, uh, there's no other nickname that you could have. Hey, what's up, Otter? Yeah, he's Otter. Not bad. There's no way, not even Fred Durst could fuck that up. No. Also, Jacksonville. Interesting little place in this country. Uh-huh. Home of Limp Bizkit. Mix. Don't they have someone else in... Uh, well, Jacksonville has ownership to, um, well, the Jaguars, which are a pretty funny team in the NFL landscape. The Jaguars are kind of the Limp Biscuit of the NFL. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Which is weird because it's like, what if Limp Biscuit all of a sudden got like Bruce Springsteen as the new lead singer? That's what Trevor Lawrence coming on the scene is like. <laughs> it's like, now what? Yeah. No, I remember when I drove through Bakersfield, California, which is the home of Corn. I realized that Bakersfield smells like corn sounds. So I imagine Jacksonville just kind of looks and acts like Limp Bizkit. <laughs> I don't to see that. All right, let's give this a chance. Okay, I've heard it up. I mean, it's bad, but it's not the worst. Mm, you this know? one's pretty rough. This one is the worst song we've heard so far, I think. Yeah. Did you know they put out their most recent album came out almost 11 years ago? Uh, it was called Gold Cobra. And it was the first with the full original lineup since 2000's Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water. Is that the worst album name of all time? And don't bring up How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb because there were layers to that. Name. <laughs> and I, just, I, I think that needs to be po- pointed out. Uh, I'll have to think about this, but my gut instinct is yes, it is the worst. <laughs> I mean, chocolate starfish, we know what that is. What is happening? That's a butthole. What? 
It is a butthole. That's a butthole. Wait a second. Did I never put that together? Did you not know that was a butthole? That's a butthole. That is a butthole. Chocolate, brown, starfish, butthole. (laughs) (laughs) Brown butthole. Brown butthole. They should have called it brown butthole and and the hot dog flavored water. Now that's got to be a dick thing. Don't know exactly what that is, though. And they were, ew, ew, what the fuck? And they were so huge (laughs) at the time. I like that you're figuring that out. I know. I... They were such a huge band that when this, the follow-up album came up, which, by the way, was 75 minutes long, an album called Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water was 75 minutes long. Uh, They were so huge at that time that all you ever heard was DJs having to bring the name of the album up over and over and over again. Sold a million copies in the first week. Well, I'm reading about this now just to confirm. Uh, Fred Durst, uh, the chocolate starfish, is uh, West Borland said in an interview, is my man Fred Durst. Fred calls himself chocolate starfish because people call him an asshole all the time. <laughs> oh, gross. Hot dog, where he tells his detractors to kiss my starfish, my chocolate starfish. He does that, really? <laughs> Stupid. That's the song Hot Dog. Never mind. All right. But yeah, so there you go. Here's a Don't Go Off Wandering. My mind's wandering on this album now. Now this feels very familiar to a lot of rock bands in this era, this chorus. Just has a very familiar sound to it. Sounds like that song sounded like they were going for a little like artsy type thing. Mm. Maybe a little out of their depth in that no, one. I don't know, man. That seemed pretty that seems as generic as it gets. Like they listened to the deft tones or something. It's like, let's try to do a deft tone oh, I song. I forgot about the deft tones. Here is nine, the number nine, teen, like teenager, ninety space. Nine. Okay. I, next time we, uh, after we listen to it, I have a question for you. Okay. Fame, you're claiming is the top of the world, but the stage, I'm claiming is the top of the world. And love, I'm feeling when you. By the way, this is the entire thematic uh, backbone of recovering the satellites. <laughs> Have we done that album yet? Who knows? Nobody knows. We've, I miss the Counting Crows. People out there, we legitimately don't know what albums we've done on this podcast. <laughs> we have no clue. You know, Counting Crows were at Woodstock 99 as well. And I remember I remember that they really stuck out like a sore right. thumb. Didn't make sense. And they, and they were at Woodstock 94, which, again, if you were born in exactly 1980... You look at Woodstock 94 like boomers look at the first Woodstock in 69. Yeah. Like there was something magical about Woodstock 94. All the bands that played, Green Day eating the dirt. Um, It was just cool. In fact, I feel like that is something, like speaking of The Ringer, if The Ringer is not doing any breakdowns on the 94 Woodstock, shame on them because 
99 is the one that was infamous and they right. could use it as the anchor of think pieces about what it meant to be alive then and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the 94 one felt like it went off and was a big hit. It was, yeah. And like it was, it was on, really well received, as I recall. It was well received. It was on pay-per-view. There was a lot of shit about... Because didn't the fences come down after like a day and then everybody came in anyway? Was that 99? I think it was 94, maybe also, where... It was very, it was hyped and it was overpriced. I remember being a thing at the time. And then I think the fences did ultimately come down because it was the whole thing of like 69 was free and it was love. How can you charge so much money for tickets in 94? But I think by day two, everybody was just walking on the field. Should have gone. 14 years old. You know, we should do, we should do a Woodstock 94 episode. I'm sure there was an album that came out. Maybe. Let's say here was... Let's see, the the big acts in Woodstock 94. Let's see. Well, there was Ravestock was in a part of Woodstock. Candlebox, Collective Soul, Violent Femmes, Sheryl Crow, James, Live. Obviously. Off, on Throwing Copper? Come on. Come on. Must have tore the whole place apart. Delamitri. Speaking of uh, Live at Woodstock 99, they played... The way you bathe the light. I'm surprised people didn't start burning things right then and there. Peak Blues Traveler, Bob. Uh-huh. Peak Blues Traveler. All right, that was Friday. Saturday, Joe Cocker, original. Right, Woodstock. you got to do that. Well yeah. done. Blind Melon. Of course. Peak was, Blind Melon. He was wearing a dress, and he was totally strung out. You're the only one that remembers that? Yep. Cypress Hill, Rollins Band, Melissa Etheridge. We love Etheridge around these parts. CSN <laughs> featuring John... Sebastian, Nine Inch Nails, Metallica, Aerosmith, Imperial period of the 90s. Uh-huh. They were just out of control. Yep. South Stage had the Cranberries, Primus, the band. Okay, we got to do a Woodstock 94 out. All right. That's only half the fucking show. People were really hyped about the year 1999. People need to know that, that we're not born <laughs> in 1980. It was a big deal. Oh, I mean... The build-up for, for years. Outrageous. So Outrageous amount of bullshit. We're not even talking Y2K. We're just talking about just the just, excitement. You know, it of just being... looked so cool. The number looked great, and there was a lot of mileage to get from that. Right. All right, here is the final single now off uh, this album. It's probably my favorite Limp Bizkit song, I'd say. Just going to keep it real. You have a favorite. I do. DJ. Meow, 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 meow. I mean, Method Man, prominently involved. Who could be the boss? Look up to the cross. Stranded in the land of the lost. Standing up on sideways. I'm blazing up the path, running on the highways around. And everyone that's listening to the song right now on our podcast is like, yeah, I did kind of like this song. Yeah, absolutely. And not alone, I'll keep John Gotti on the phone. I'm tangled in the zone, I got the bees on the track. Where the fuck you at? The cow. Let me hear your pigeons run your mouth now. Fuck up. I'm plugging in them social skills to keep my total bills over a million. The last time I checked it, thank God I'm blessed with the mind that'll wreck it. Wait until the second round and knock them out. They call me Big John Stuff, my middle name Mug. Dirty water flow, too much for you thug. That can't stand the flood. What up, Doc? Whole big gun. Like, all right, so Method Man for Wu Tang, that's all great. But let's just give him a little bit of pop and love here for the uh, sound drop here. Like, this oh, is sonically sure. like interesting. Yep. And different, 
And, uh, yeah, gotta give them a little love there. I agree. It's a nice bed. They put together something nice musically. Good. <laughs> Feels good. Get oh, wow, you're getting the rage. Shut the fuck up. Come on, Donald. This is not Method Man's first appearance on the pod. Okay, hang on. Method Man. Where else would Method Man have popped up on this show? Well, we've already established there's no memory of anything we've ever done. So where was Method Man? Garden State. Oh! That's right. <laughs> In the the most misguided moment in that whole movie, yep. we talked about that in depth. I yep. do remember that. We did. It was like Zach Braff was like, I want to get this like cool black guy involved in my movie. I don't know what to do. <laughs> we got I don't know what to do with him. Method Man agreed. What do we do? He's in. Now what? Now what? <laughs> it's like we have nothing in the script uh, for Method Man. Okay, let's have him play a hotel usher that takes people inside hotel walls to look at peep shows <laughs> and Zach Braff goes there to collect something charms or oh, yeah. necklaces or <laughs> his dead so mother's weird. ring or something so weird but this was for it makes sense why Method Man would do this because Limp Bizkit was tremendous like meteoric yep. at the time but um, the fact that he gave them so much cred just by being there like here you have a guy from Wu Tang who's rapping next to this white boy rapper. It legitimized. It them. totally legitimized yeah. them. So maybe it's all Method Man's fault. Donald Trump is Method Man's fault. What would that make? Would that make Method Man would be um, uh, what's his name? Herman Cain. <laughs> the Herman Cain guy. The nine 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 guy. I don't know. Method Man's so cool. Yeah, he makes cool. Like, he's not trying. It's just who he is. According to Wes Borland, the band wanted to record a track that was straight hip hop. They did it. Well, they did it. Hey, wait up. I mean, it doesn't excuse them for all their other myriad of uh, sins, but but we got to give them that. No, we got to give them that. What is this? Is this 311? It's like an interstitial, 311 inspired. This actually is still labeled under and together now. But um, we don't need to hear this. All right, up next is Trust. Wait, excuse me. There's... Ooh, we don't get a lot of this. One word, one word song with a question mark, Bob. Trust? Ooh. Trust? Who faced lone It's time to step up to the plate. So this happens a lot on this 
podcast. If it's a band that I'm not really into and then I the singles kind of catch me on the right day and I'm like, all right, I can feel that. I can feel this. And then like the first few songs that were non-singles, like, okay, these aren't bad. Yeah. But what happens a lot is you start to dig in and it's just like, okay, do I need to hear Trust? How deep are we right now? We're in deep. Uh, there are, let's see. Is there's no way Fred Durst respects your 12 song limit. No. Of course not. You include it, you want to know, with rant, with parenthetical, rant. Matt Pinfield? Yeah, yeah. 15. Okay. So we're going to trust. Yeah, we are good. That was fine. All right. And up by now. fine, I mean absolute shit. I'll never <laughs> listen to it again. It is good to know in this in this time, this multimedia explosion, living in the 21st century, when you hear something or watch something, and in this case, hear something and just know, all good, that will never enter your mind again. Never. One less thing for you to have to worry about. Yep. In terms of sensory assault, that's gone. Gone forever. This song's called No Sex, Bob. But I I do want to hear the beginning of the song lyrically. Is it about you and your ninth anniversary? Ooh, well played. Well played. This could be a problem. (laughs) This could be a a problem. Okay, here we go. Here's No Sex. Uh, Open parenthetical, Dan's ninth anniversary. Songs where the lyrics maybe a second pass, and maybe the music a second pass too. It's or maybe I, the vocal track. As you well. should have let me leave my pants on this time. So it's it's her fault. You know what? They um, took off his pants. It's her fault. Um, you know we are we are barreling towards the birds and the bees talk with my uh, my oh, oldest. Right around the. Should I just play him this song, <laughs> and just be like, you'll get it after you hear this. Just listen to Fred. And we do like the um, the almost famous. Dean's like, wait, his name is Fred? We do the almost famous deleted <laughs> scene where the kid plays Francis McDormand the entire Stairway to Heaven for her to understand why, he, why he needs to go on tour. I'll just, we'll just play, we'll sit at the dinner table, we'll just hit play on this, and he'll understand what sex is. Yep, just put headphones on him and just sit there with like a, a cup of coffee in front of you and yep. just wait for the whole song to end. And then when he'll take off the headphones and be like, Thank I you. understand and I will wait. I mean, there is someone out there in this fucked up world who, when you ask him, oh, what's your favorite song of all time? They say, oh, No Sex by Limp Bizkit. There's someone out there. You think so? There's somebody out there. All right. Someone out there. If you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, 
don't give us five stars on iTunes. Remember, 16 million people can be wrong. Just come here, please. All right. Now, with that said, entering the umlaut right now. Come here, baby. This is big. For the no. first time. This is huge. On the throwback podcast is my wife. My wife. Emily. Here, take a seat. Right on my lap. Uh, she's hesitant. Hesitant to sit <laughs> down on his lap. All right. Um, Why are you putting me on the spot? Because it's your special day. Oh, shut up, Bob. It's your special day. All right, Bob, you you asked the question. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Are we, I just are we looked good? At, wait, I just looked down at the computer, and you brought me in to talk about our marriage and our anniversary during Limp Biscuit. Well, the reason I do, oh, we just did a sounds, song It sounds like there's problems in that, the marriage. That sounds so romantic. If there wasn't problems before, there are problems gonna, now. Exactly. I thought you were going to surprise me with, like, some... What was that? Um, it's our anniversary. Okay. <laughs> Tony, Tony, Tony. Yes, thank you. <laughs> okay, that's all good. But I just want to ask you, are you mad at me that we're recording on our anniversary? And be honest, because I know you've been cool about it today. It was an accident. I didn't realize it was May 12th, the recording date. <laughs> You're such a cliche. Be honest with me right now. It's our anniversary. <laughs> that's what, uh, that is what he sounds like. Uh-huh. Don't, don't be in character. Be honest with the audience. No. I'm not mad. I'm a weird. I'm I'm one of those weirdos. I don't like flowers. Yeah. That. I, do you have any idea how much money that saved me? That that's she pretty nice. Like flowers. Well, you can get them at Ralph's for flowers like nine dollars now. They but, die. Yeah. But They're she's not so into that. Ugly after yeah. like three days. I, it's a uh, waste of I money. I was spending sixty dollars on flowers early in the relationship, and it was like she wasn't paying attention to them, and it was like, why are they? Why am I doing this? And then I stopped buying flowers, and there was never a single complaint. Mm-mm. Nice. What Take else have you? What, nice else, what, what else have you stopped doing for your wife, Dan? <laughs> yeah, please. I do everything else for her to make her happy. That's all. That's well, all I, have I to don't say. want to be the reason that you guys don't do it right now on your anniversary. So <laughs> don't let me interrupt this. All right. So Awkward. we're good. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Can okay, I good. leave now? Yes. Oh, thank God. <laughs> That's my wife. My wife. Look at that. All right. Here is. Show me what you got. What is this song? This is called Show Me What You Got. I like it. I like the way it's starting. I feel like this is going to be really good. (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) He's having fun. Oh, yeah, Jacksonville! And he's doing the Huey Lewis move? He's doing it. The James Brown. You call it the James Brown, I call it the Huey Lewis. The hotter rock and roll is in Cleveland. Hey, you, Detroit. Single stupidest thing I've ever heard. Oh my god, I love this. What can I say? I can't name them all. So somebody, anybody, 
What? Everybody, what? Okay! Right. Now, it is, it is time-tested, crowd-pleaser, to write a song that names a city, because then when you get to that city, they go oh, fucking yeah. nuts. And I'm not hating on that. People have been doing that for as long as there's been, you know, arena rock music or whatever, but yeah. it just, if you want to find, like, the dumbest version of that, go find the Limp Bizkit record. This is <laughs> monumentally <laughs> stupid. Like, at the end of it, he even stopped, like, coming up with the rhymes. It's like, he was going, he was doing yeah. good for a while there. No, he had a little message. He had, I, I need my Kleenex when I leave Phoenix. Like, everybody had a little, yeah, like, yeah, bit. Yeah. And then it's almost like he was like, okay, I'll get back to this for the rest of these no. cities. And then forgot. And then he was in the studio. He's like, uh... <laughs> It reminds me of that Flight of the Concords joke where it's like, freestyling, when I freestyle, yes. I lose confidence, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and that's it. It's like, it's like he was going through his notes like, oh, I never finished this song, and, and Spunky was like, it's fine, man, nobody nobody cares. Spunky. This might be the lowest moment in music history. Did he say Scott Weiland's the melody yeah, man? Yeah, he, he can't Scott sing Weiland. it. Nobody can. Yeah. The fuck does Scott Weiland have to do with this? Is that from the Twelve Precious Melodies thing? Maybe At the end of Purple. What is happening? I don't know. And it, Bob, that's an that's an outrageous song. I don't know. I should we listen to the end or do we want to bail on this song? I mean, if we bail on it, I'm the second we're done recording, I'm going to listen to it. Again. I feel like we owe it to ourselves and yeah, the audience. I really want to get deep into this. There's a minute left. Let's see if there's another verse here. It could be about anything. That's the great thing. It's like, who knows where it's going to go? What's going to happen next? I don't know. It's a success in that way. Didn't see this coming. Nope. Where? My mouth is open. It's like this is the Beastie Boys. It turned into check your head Beastie Boys. That was his statement of intent. That was this is. This is who I am. This is who we love. This is what we represent. I am blown away by that. Show me what you got. Buried deep in the album. That feels like it should have been track one. Oh, my God. Should we do like we did Be Here Forever, where we remixed (laughs) uh, the Oasis album uh, and gave it the track listing it deserved? Do we need to do that now for Significant Other just so that starts the album? Only so we can start it. 
So our next episode of this podcast will be significant other reimagined. And I'm curious, like what, um, what B side? We're like, oh yeah, that has to replace no sex. When you're, <laughs> when you're Limp Bizkit, do you even have B sides? I feel like everything makes it on the album. No, that's a good question. Has, has Limp Bizkit ever released a B side? <laughs> It's hard to say. All right, this sounds like it's the last song because it's strange because you have... We got to get to the end. This is a lesson learned, and then there's outro, and then there's rant, open parenthetical, Matt Pinfield. Is rant, is that a hidden track, maybe? It could have been. could have been Once Upon a Time. It's unclear in the uh, streaming era. Yes. I've heard enough of this. Yeah, so have I. I mean, at a certain point, at a certain point, you need to be your own editor. (laughs) Wow. Alright, here's outro. I'm still just I'm I'm still reeling from that song. Okay, so sonically this is the same as intro. Right. So okay. <laughs> Got it. I would think I would think Penfield has to be uh, a hidden track. Let's see if we can do a little digging on this. I love me some Matt Penfield, so I'm very excited. Is it weird that I'm disappointed that Matt Penfield aligned himself? Yeah, no, that makes sense. A little biscuit in this yeah. way, because I always thought he was like... Because when, the thing about Penfield was he didn't look the part. Nope. I, I in mean, late 90s MTV, stud, he, I was going to say he stood out like a sore thumb. He actually was a thumb. He was a thumb. He was a thumb man. <laughs> if you've ever seen the Spy Kids movies... Uh, the thumb people from Spy Kids One. That's exactly what Matt Penfield. And we could say that because we're both eights and above. So it's like right. And I was also in a Spy Kids movie, so I'm a I'm an authority. That's when it true. Comes Which to one? Spy Kids Four. So did, I'm an authority. Did you have a speaking role? No, of course not. What was your role in the film? We'll get into that. It's too late to get into my Spy Kids. Wait, you're going to tease your Spy Kids saying, cameo? Yeah, you know what? I am. As as a you will a, never remember that. This will never come up ever again on As the podcast. A star of Are Spy you willing Kids to take that risk? All the time in the world, alongside Jason Zumwalt. Yes, I'm willing to take that risk. Got to get Jay back on the pod. We do. We will. Jay moved, in, I think he moved to Omaha? You guys moved in opposite directions, <laughs> and now you live a short flight away from each other. It's ridiculous. Come on, Jay. Come over for a sleepover. <laughs> all right. There we go. We're, let's check out the Penfield situation here. <laughs> you know what's funny though about Limp Bizkit? It's that the people that had taste like there give were, the give the runway to Matt Pinfield. I, I, I don't know. Do we have to wait? Hey, for it's it? the bald okay. man, and I'm here to tell you why the new Limp Bizkit album is so important. That's because CDs like this one spare you from all the chart-topping, teeny-bobbing, disposable, happy horseshit that brings up the bile from the back of my neck. I have no time or tolerance for all shitty, whack acts like that. I wouldn't piss on their CDs to put out a fire. I'm tired of all those lame-ass, team-ass, prefabricated, sorry excuses for singers and musicians who don't even write their own songs. What the world needs now is a musical revolution. We need some rock. We need something that has balls. We need something with substance, depth, something with soul, some edge, some passion, some power. Shit, if it's going to be mellow, fuck, man. It better have something. It better mean something. I'm telling you, you got to hit them with something hard. You got to stick them with something limp, like Limp Biscuit. I'm so fucking tired of the shit that I'm hearing on the radio. Radio sucks. The same fucking songs over and over again. All the weak ones, all that disposable crap that isn't going to matter in three months. It's just shit. It's crap, Fred. 
Brad, I'm telling you, there's no fucking shit going on, and we need some new music. Limp Biscuit is fucking cool. You guys are cool. The new record's great. But fuck all that other shit. I'm so sick of all that weak shit yeah, that's taking up down. space on the charts. Fuck that shit, bro. I'm out of here. Fuck, dude. Fucking Pinfield is pissed. Oh, man. I gotta go find that bald bastard. <laughs> Whoa. That's an interesting... Um, that's an interesting move as well. First of all, first of all, Matty boy, come Matt, on, Matt, what are we doing? I would, I would love to know what Matt Pinfield thinks about that now. Yes, yes. In fact, I when I lived in Culver City, um, my old haunt, Rocco's on Main Street in Culver City, where I watched many a Yankee game and drank many a pint glass of uh, Tito's and soda. Um, there was a guy uh, at the bar, Stephen, who was legit good buddies with Pinfield. Mm. And uh, if I was still there, if I was still a frequenter, I would absolutely connect with him and maybe even try to, should we try to get Pinfield on the show to talk about this? I just want to know if he's embarrassed that of all the band, look, the rant was exactly what you said earlier in the episode. It was the reason this was doing so well was it was, it was the antithesis of the Backstreet Boys and Britney right. Spears and all that stuff. So it was that, a reaction. He was just he just spelled it out for everybody who didn't get it at the end of this album, so which is such a on the nose, right? Uh, non intellectual way uh, to cap your album, even if this was a hidden track. It's like right. you're basically speaking all your insecurities into existence to let everyone know, like you may not think we're that talented, but we're not that stuff, right? We're we're authentic. We write our own songs. We rock. Like, we're cool. Look, Matt Pinfield, he's a guy that people view as smart in the realm of rock music. It's like trying to, and they paid him, I'm sure, for that. Matt Pinfield. No, here's my theory. Fred Durst uh, had some like groupie give him a blowjob, and Matt Pinfield became a Limp Bizkit fan, and he was like, I'll do whatever, man, whatever you want me to do. <laughs> you think Pinfield got a little head, and he was like, okay, yep. now I, I owe a favor. I owe a favor. These guys are cool. They got me, they got me a beach. And hate you know, whenever your friend downstairs gets you in trouble. <laughs> he should have listened to No Sex. But I would love for <laughs> Matt Pinfield now to just acknowledge that his his legacy is now part of his legacy is being on a Limp Biscuit album, being like, This is great music. Mm, very interesting. Tough spot Matt, for a respected host of 120 minutes. Exactly. We need we need to I mean, the man is a walking music encyclopedia, Matt mm-hmm. Pinfield. Like he knows rock music inside and out for him to kind of put on the cape for Limp Biscuit, But he's been knuckle deep in this forever. That's outrageous. But I understand part of it. Like, it's almost like Durst. It, maybe there were sexual favors involved. But <laughs> Durst was like, I know Pinfield probably thinks we're shit. But I know if, if I hit him with, hey, aren't we better than all this Christina Aguilera bullshit out there? He's on board. Maybe we can get him to be on the record. Yeah. And if I get him a beach, yep, then it'll probably lock him in. Hundred percent. What was the story? Speaking of beaches, what's the story of? Uh, it was Durst and Scott Stapp getting a double beach and high fiving backstage at some concert. Yeah, that was like a little scene, but well known sex tape of the late nineties, early two thousands, <laughs> where it was Scott Stapp, do not need Fred to see Durst. That. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen it. Usually, when like you hear about a celebrity sex tape, and then someone goes, "I do not want to see that." I would say I do want to see it. I just want to see what happened. I want to see the quality of it. I mm-hmm. want to see 
this this carnal act that wasn't supposed <laughs> to be seen by others. But in this case, I do not want to nope, see pass on that one. Someone engaged in fellatio <laughs> with Fred Durst. Don't need it. The guy's name's Fred. Look, if it was just Scott, any Scott. Fred. No, never a Fred. Fred Rogers. Name one Fred that you'd ever want to see in any carnal context. Right said Fred. Okay. Both of them. Good call. Yeah, but that's it. Good call. So at the end of Fred every- Lynn, former baseball slugger. I would like <laughs> the- to see him lay some pipe. Um, I thought so I had it. Stand corrected. <laughs> former Red Sox slugger, Fred <laughs> <That> Lynn. Lynn. <laughs> He's like, oh, uh, he just did like a... Uh, a Google search for his name being search, uh, mentioned, and he's like, oh, throwback podcast. Let me check does, this out. Does Freddie Prince Jr. count? Or he's a Freddie, so it doesn't count. Does not count. It's got to okay. be Fred. Got it. Got like, it. Straight up. Like Fred Willard. Do you want to see Fred Willard involved in any type of sex act? R.I.P. Remember when Fred got arrested yes. in a movie theater, Pee Wee style, like yep. four years ago? Yes. He was like 98 years old. He like, like walked right. into this place on Santa Monica Boulevard. And then his excuse afterwards was like, never knew that. I didn't know that's what I was walking into, but. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. I'm all in on it. And I was um, the proudest I've ever been of my mom. This is retroactively. I didn't know at the time was that when Pee Wee, Paul Rubens got arrested. Outrageous that he was arrested. Of course. Yeah. um, For going to an adult theater and pleasuring himself. uh, Undercover cop in, I think, Sarasota, Florida. Meets him in the lobby after and says, hey, you're under arrest. What the fuck? First of all, what is the theater for? These Obviously. things don't exist anymore. Right. This was a time before the internet. And uh, B, ruined the guy's life and yep. uh, nearly ruined his life and nearly ruined his career. Um, uh, my mom, Deb, wrote a letter to CBS when they canceled, canceled Pee Wee's Playhouse immediately after. A letter of support for Pee Wee Herman. Wow. How about that? I love that. And I would have loved... I would have loved to see that letter. I wish you would have saved a copy of it. Let the man jerk. Was <laughs> That's the- what I would love to attempt. What, what were the contents of my mom's letter to CBS? Let the man Les jerk. Les Moves. Hey, I know what happened in the movie theater. But let them <laughs> That's that's Deb I at her best. I think that's what Deb would have written, but I mean that would have been the general spirit of it, uh-huh. I imagine. All right. We need to choose the uh the song that goes on the Throwback Podcast playlist. Yes, and before we do that, we have to thank the Patreones who made it possible, nay, who are responsible for us to sit here and listen to Significant Other for the first. And let's be I honest, had fun. It was last time in our lives, I had fun too. I'm glad. Unlike the corn episode, we went into the corn episode being like we just read this long Stephen Hyden article about it, being like, "Oh, this is a work of art that we need to appreciate." That's right, Hyden. And you it was pinning it on Hyden. Pinning it on Hyden. Uh, this time we knew what we were getting into and it was a fun listen. So thank you to everybody on patreon.com slash throwback pod for uh, supporting us for $2 a month, $6 a month to vote in the polls like this one. You guys are the reason we're still here. The reason Dan's wife was gritting, speaking through her teeth about their anniversary, <laughs> doing her best to hide the disappointment in her husband. So thank you for contributing uh, especially our top tier Patreones, Courtney and Wyatt, Bruno the sponsor, and Mancy and Kleine over in Australia. You guys are uh, your heroes. Let's be honest. You are heroes. And you're the reason a Limp Bizkit song is about to end up on the Throwback Podcast playlist. And if we bring up Stephen Hyden, I'd like to say that Stephen Thomas Erlewine of all music. Oh, if Fred Durst couldn't even get him a blowjob, 
Frederick tried, <laughs> and the, he could not find a groupie no. desperate enough. SDE cannot settle down. He's got a different woman every day of the week. Anyway, <laughs> this album, according to SDE, contains flourishes of neo-psychedelia. Psychedelia? Delia? Psychedelia? Psychedelia. On pummeling metal numbers, and there are swirls of strings, even crooning at the most unexpected background. Now, I, you know, you know so, I'm always all about SDE. I didn't hear much of that. SDE is a fan, is what you're saying. <laughs> So discount everything else the man has ever written. Look, there's only one song that we could listen to again on this entire album. I think we're both definitely on the same Wait, page here. Can we include the Matt Pinfield track? <laughs> I mean, because I think you and I are on the same page here. We both like Matt Pinfield. Yeah. We shouldn't do that to him. Okay, fine. Let's leave it in the past. <laughs> there we go. Meow, 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 meow. meow. And together now, Limp Bizkit featuring Method Man. Coming on right after Crowded House. What a playlist. Is the latest addition to the Throwback Podcast playlist where you can get, which you can get literally anywhere but Tidal. Amon, it's Rihanna. Come on, Tidal. Problematic. Problematic Rihanna impression. All right. What does Rihanna sound like to you? Amon. <laughs> there you go. That's her. That was her. Anyway, follow us on Twitter at ThrowbackPod, Instagram at ThrowbackPod, and you can email us at thethrowbackpod at gmail.com. There he is. All right. Yes, do all that. And yes, uh, help us out on the iTunes side of things. Leave some reviews, five stars. Bury us in the reviews if you want, but please, five stars. That helps. Uh, and Bob said all the good Patreon stuff. Thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, go fuck yourself. Shut the fuck up. Wait, before we go. So, if you had to give this an album five out of five stars, what would you give it? Be honest. In a vacuum. In a vacuum? All the Fred stuff out of the mix and everything. One and a half stars. I give it two and a half. Two and a half. Two and a half stars. Really? Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. What's that I didn't hear you? Shut the fuck up. Come on a little louder. Shut the fuck up. Everybody in the cabinet. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Head strong. Dead calm. Get right on. Dead weight. They dead wrong. Let's get it on. Twelve rounds of throw down. Shut the fuck up.